Welcome to New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot Maloney, a Benedictine monk and professor of New Testament Studies at St. Vincent's Seminary, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Hello, this is Brother Elliot. In this two-part podcast, I'd like to enter into with you the passion of Jesus Christ as fully as we can. Uh, I want to delve into what the evangelists tell us about the background of Jesus' ministry and what leads us up to the actions and sufferings of Jesus in that first Holy Week. But first, let's set the parameters of our meditation to arrive as much as we can at Jesus' own thinking. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus was a carpenter from a little village in the north of Israel called Nazareth. Those are factual statements. But Jesus' whole life changed, Mark tells us, one spring when he went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover as a good Jew. At some point, it was attracted by the reputation of one John the baptizer who was preaching out in the desert right over by the Jordan River. This is where the Gospel of Mark begins the story of Jesus. We can only imagine what Jesus' quiet life of work and prayer was like for all those years before this. As Luke tells us, After the finding in the temple story, the boy Jesus returned from Jerusalem with his parents to their home in Nazareth. And Luke says, quote, He grew in wisdom and age and favor before God and men and women. This means, of course, that just like you and me, Jesus had to learn the scriptures. He had to grow into an adult understanding of God's plan until the fullness of time came about that fateful year. Then God called upon him to make a radical change in his lifestyle. He would give up his life and work as a carpenter of some 30 years to become a wandering missionary in the manner of the ancient prophets of Israel. Indeed, the letter to the Hebrews tells us, quote, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. This affirms that, for us, that the human nature of Jesus was really like ours. His suffering was no sham, no pretend fear and shock and hurt. Even with his special filial relationship to God the Father, Jesus had to live life and suffer pain just as we do. As St. Paul's famous hymn in Philippians says, though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave coming in human likeness. This tells us that Jesus had to experience life as we do, to learn from his experience. 
<clears throat> and to grow into self-understanding, just like us. Although he probably had a higher IQ than anybody around him, it was still a human IQ. Now, Jesus knew from synagogue attendance, from his study of scriptures there over many years, that God had promised a new world of mercy and justice for all, for all of Israel. <clears throat> the Jewish people were to live as models of justice and devotion so that the whole world would see and convert to the service of the one true God. Israel's loving observance of God's law was supposed to make the Israelites free and spontaneous in their love and devotion to God. They were to be remarkable in their deep concern for others, even for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, who were non-persons among ancient peoples, beings with no rights at all. This loving and just state of being is what Jesus came to call the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not a place. It is certainly not heaven. But it is a new earth along with the new heavens, as the book of Revelation tells us, when it would be as if a heavenly Jerusalem would descend from above to refurbish and renew the old city of God. Yes, Matthew does call it the kingdom of heaven, but this is a euphemism of a devout Jew who doesn't want to say God's name. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. This kingdom, the Malkutha Elahi, which would be in Aramaic, or the Aramaic words that Jesus would say, have an active meaning. It means God's being king, God's kinging, God's, God's acting as king over an international unity of nations and peoples. What Jesus saw in Israel at his time was anything but this holy life in loving freedom. His own people languished under Roman rule, oppressive enough in its burden of taxes, but perhaps even worse in its scorn for the religion of Israel, for the Jews' devotion to what the Romans considered a completely powerless God. To make matters the worst, their own temple religion of Israel offered leaders who brought no consolation to this suffering. No, the priests only added burdens of their own, both economic and spiritual, a tragedy in the name of religion. What went wrong in Israel with God's plan? Somehow, over the previous 80 or 90 years, the priestly aristocracy whom the Herods had put in charge of the temple 
these men had changed the religion of the Old Testament from one of God's merciful but demanding rule into the forced compliance with a beggarly purity code. Yes, the priests had constrained their theologians, the scribes, to transform the teaching of the great ancient religion of the Israel's God into a quid pro quo kind of pay-for-sacrifice temple production. The required sacrifices had multiplied so greatly that it caused a real strain on people. What was once a set of liturgical rubrics for priests in the book of Leviticus became a black-and-white moral system where any infraction required a rigorous atonement by means of a priestly sacrifice, one that came only at the cost of either money or goods. To buy the animals to be sacrificed, they even required a certain kind of money, the Tyrian shekel. Guess who controlled the money-changing facilities at the temple? Yes, you're right, the priestly aristocracy. These priests became so rich that the Jewish Talmud later indicts them for constantly being sick from eating too much fat from the animals they sacrificed. Okay. Jesus realized that God wanted to do something about this situation. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus announced that God was starting a new initiative, one in which repentance for sin could be witnessed to by ritual cleansing, like John the Baptist's cleansing, uh, water baptism. Sin itself could be forgiven for the asking, especially in the powerful healing presence of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. The negative reaction of priests and scribes was predictable. But even the Pharisees, who really wanted to keep God's laws, even they were influenced by this easier practice of a religion of black and white, of purity observances. God's Old Testament demands of justice and genuine concern for others were much harder to live up to. Now, the people themselves, so long without true religious leadership, unfortunately did not grasp the big picture that Jesus was presenting. They just, they didn't have the background anymore. They didn't have the sense to hear what Jesus was presenting. Apart from a few score of followers, most of the populace just looked for some fortuitous relief to their suffering to sort of hit the lottery, as it were, with Jesus and score a healing or some success in something they were doing. 
It was then that Jesus realized that he must go to the religious leadership in Jerusalem to make his case about God's true will for the Hebrew people. But how could he, a simple artisan without a big family name behind him, how could he even get to speak to such elites? Surely they would not grant him an audience. What could such an insignificant man have to tell them, the great leaders of the magnificent temple of Jerusalem, which actually was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world? In events leading up to his disastrous Jerusalem visit, it became clear to Jesus that he would lose his life to the ruthless power of Roman overlordship of Israel and the misguided religious leadership of the aristocratic temple priesthood. His response was humble acceptance of what he came to understand as God's plan to use the evil power of Rome and their collaborators, the chief priests, to effect a sacrifice that would save humankind. The result was made clear in Jesus' words at the Last Supper and in his heroic suffering and death on the cross. He chose then to go against all advice to the great city of Jerusalem and in order to make an entrance, to make himself known, to bring himself to the attention of the authorities, he came in with his group of followers and evidently in advance uh, had some friends and people from Jerusalem come out to meet him, and he came in on a donkey, on the, on the colt, a young donkey, just as the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah predicted that Israel's king would come humble, not on a great stallion, but on a small little insignificant ride, the donkey. This, then, as we shall see, is the beginning of the final few days of what happened in Jerusalem when Jesus accepted the will of the Father, went into this knowing of the bad outcome for him, but in love for all of us, tried to show us in this action how we are to live. This is Brother Elliot Maloney. Thanks for listening in today. See you again on New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot.